A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome, friends, to another r slash malicious compliance video. You know, in my eyes, there's only one thing worth complying to, and that's when people like me plead and beg, could you please hit the like and subscribe buttons down below? That said, our first story of the day is by Exacting Muesli 6 Teamster force me, you will pay me. I drive for a freight company. We own 13 terminals in 5 states. What we pick up today will deliver up to 600 miles away tomorrow. There's two job classifications, line haul drivers and city drivers. Line haul drivers bid these line haul jobs and are paid by the mile, plus all the on-clock time is paid by the hour. When a driver gets to his destination, the company pays for the hotel. I am designated a city driver. We do the pickups and deliveries, plus all the loading dock work. We're paid by the hour, overtime after 8 hours, important later. We operate in the north where winter weather can ice the road. No matter how bad the weather, our drivers are sent on their run unless the highway patrol closes the road. Which is what happened. The line haul drivers were called to stay home because of this. Because these drivers had to go on their runs the next night, they lost a day's pay in the contract for line haul drivers. With no deliveries coming through, there was little work the next day. When I got to work the next day, the manager forced me and two others to make road runs to get the freight through. While they can't really force us, it's nice to have a change once in a while, so I did it. I started 8.30am and was assigned to drive to a terminal 200 miles away, continue to another terminal 80 miles from there, then 250 miles home. DOT regulations are as follows. You're allowed to work 14 hours, including breaks, with 11 hours being driving time. It took me 6 hours to cover the first 200 miles, plus half hour on duty at the first terminal. The 80 miles to the far terminal was a nightmare. Cars and trucks in the ditch with glare ice making uphills difficult. Three and a quarter hours to make 80 miles. They had shipments to go back with me that had to go. Gee, their city drivers had the same slippery road as I did, so two and a quarter hours on duty waiting for a load for me to haul back. The math said nine and a quarter hours driving time plus three and a quarter hours on duty waiting time plus one hour break time equals not enough hours to start the 250 mile, four hour, in good weather, drive home. They put me in a hotel for the DOT mandatory 10 hours off duty. The roads were better the next day. I made the 250 miles home in five hours. 45 minutes to service the truck and finish the DOT log sheets, and I was done. I told the boss they had to pay me on the clock for all of the hours from when I punched in yesterday until when I punched out today, with less than one hour break time. We only clock off for a quarter hour lunch. Drive time, plus on duty time, plus 10 hours paid in the hotel. 28 and a quarter hours with everything over 8 hours paid at time and a half. $707.50 for getting her done. They refused to pay me the overtime and paid me like I was an over the road driver. 530 miles at 48 cents per mile, 254 bucks and 40 cents, plus the on duty time of 4 and a quarter hours at $20 per hour, 95 bucks. The total being about $350. Teamsters have a grievance system for pay disputes. I filed my grievance at the $350 line haul pay and how it doesn't apply to me as I was forced. As an hourly employee, I am entitled to time and a half for all hours over 8. They owed me $358 extra dollars. I won. 
Basically, what the malicious compliance breaks down to is they and their contract are not paid to do long-haul work. So the people changing things up and saying, you have to do this work, and then just going, okay, is a malicious compliance because they're going to be on the hook for way more money owed to OP than they ever expected. Because they can't just change how they pay somebody that has a contract with them, regardless of the type of work they did. If your employer was trying to change the work you did, without realizing that if you did that work, you would get lots of bonuses. Do you think it's fair game for that employee to stay silent about how much they're going to be owed and take the job anyways? Let me know what you think in the comments down below. Our next story is by Ansela Jonla. Keep the drill inside at all times? Got it. I'm working in a DIY store on day shifts at the moment, the blue and white one for any Brits reading. One of the tasks is to fasten dividers into the shelving. These are wood shelves, basically pallets suspended between two beams, so this requires screws and a drill. The drill belongs to the team leader, and it's a decent one that cost him a bit, so he's weary of leaving it unattended, especially as the general public are thieving gits. I've lost more than one knife to light-fingered customers. We're in and out of the aisles, so he has one rule. The drill does not stay there unattended. It is to be in the line of sight of one of us at all times. I really, really need the loo, but neither of my coworkers are in sight, and they're in the opposite direction to the loos, which I definitely need to reach sooner rather than later. So the drill stays in my sight, firmly grasped in one desperate mid as I scurry off to the staff door, tucked against my body as I manipulate the lock, at my feet as I sink onto the throne with a sigh of relief. And when I finally emerged and returned to the aisle, the drill dangling from my hand, Naturally, they'd needed it while I was gone, and if I'd been allowed to hide it behind something, it would have been there. But I was told it had to be with one of us, so with me it was. I had to drill all of them in, front and back, instead of just front. I think a good way to combat this is take it every time you go to the restroom. Maybe start saying it's a comfort thing. Maybe seek out the drill every time you have to go to the restroom. Then maybe they'll realize... Maybe it's a little overdramatic to make sure it cannot ever leave your eyes. But to play devil's advocate, I kind of understand if it's a really good drill that they paid for out of pocket, you don't want to lose it to some, well, thief. Our next story is by an anonymous poster. Only respond to calls you tell me to? No problem, boss dude. I work in industrial maintenance, specializing in the automation side of things. Robots, PLC, and HMI stuff but frequently respond to other machine downtime regardless. The facility I was at for this story did radio dispatching via the maintenance team lead. He kept track of who went where and what machines were the priority. Team lead was a screamer at people he thought he could bully and would often tell us how lucky we were to have a job there, which will lead into a pro revenge story for later posting. I didn't just burn that bridge, I blew it up while walking away and not looking back at the high order detonation. Anywho, having finished a call, I saw another floor tech under a machine struggling to get a hydraulic pump and motor in place, so I stopped to help. Soon after, I get dispatched to another downtime call. I responded that I would be about 5 minutes to get there as I was helping this guy. I didn't tell you to help him, you only go to calls I tell you to. Okie dokie there dude, he had a habit of assuming things and taking actions for granted, so I knew it wouldn't be long until I could help him step on his own Richard. A week or two later, I get sent to take over a call from the offgoing shift. I got to the machine X14 and before I could even get a solid turnover, he pulled me off to go to a higher priority downtime. This continued the rest of the shift. I would get done and he would send me to another call, 
wash, rinse, repeat. At this place, any machine that was down for two hours or more due to the breakdown had to be escalated. Depending on how long, about six hours, the head mother freaker in charge of regional operations had to be informed. Every day at six hours into shift, all the floor level managers and supervisors had a chicken poop finger pointing meeting with the planned head mother freaker in charge to update downtimes, root cause, and subsequent shipping disruptions. During the meeting, the Richard head in question called me and asked, Hey, what did you ever do to get X14 running? My response? I didn't get it running. You pulled me off before I could get a proper turnover and never sent me back. I only go to calls you send me to. Remember, I could feel the anger radiating through the radio, but the DIQ was busy trying to explain itself to the plant supervisor. Yes, he did try and blame me. I don't and never have given a freak about playing that game. So I used the so-called open-door policy the plant manager had to let him know what happened and pointed out there were 30-plus witnesses due to him yelling his instructions to me over the radio. He tried to retaliate in his way, but that culminated in the aforementioned pro-revenge story, which I'll post in the next week or so. Basically, this guy's just terrible at dispatching and doing their job properly. They were willingly just moving OP from job to job without ever making sure that anything actually got done. No leniency, no attention to detail, just haphazard and kind of witchy. Our next story is by Helical Twist. Malicious Compliance Backfire Have a jerkhole colleague who started the same job two weeks before me. He was and still is a bully. He had a multiple HR complaints in the two weeks before I joined and since. He attempted, and still attempts, to use his two-week seniority to act as my manager. He gatekeeps access to information and would exclude me from shared projects. He excludes me from conversations too. After many meetings with management and HR, the conclusion is that behavioral change won't work and we'll have to accept him as he is. So I agreed to this with my manager and said, fine, I'll keep out of all the projects he's excluded me from and only speak to him when spoken to. She agreed. Two weeks later, management calls me to a meeting to discuss my recent lack of commitment and motivation. They extended my probation a second time for it. I referenced our agreement and all they said was, yeah, I didn't think of that. It's good we have these conversations to support you through your probationary period. Management also told me that because I work later hours than said jerk hole, that it's making his job more difficult. I said I'll come in earlier then. We have flexible hours. And she responded, Oh no, the policy says you can start when you like, so don't change. So which is it? For reference, I only come in one hour later than this guy, but apparently so much work is already done by him in this period, and there's nothing left for me? There's always work left for me, because he's the one that assigns it. I don't know what it is about this two-week guy, but I guess because they have slightly more seniority, they're kind of taking their side. But it definitely seems like they're very one-sided. They just don't want to rock the boat at all, and that's coming at the cost of upsetting OP in their experience. I think for OP's sake, they better just try and make sure they have a fallback plan just in case, because it seems they're willing to extend their probationary period and kind of throw them a bit more under the bus, rather than deal with the issues that the two-week older guy is generating. And our final story of the day is by Not Yours, My Own. Sure, I'll transfer you to the store. 
This happened years ago when I was working in a call center to put myself through uni. I worked in the call center for a major family entertainment company. We had multiple brands under the company umbrella, and the one call center managed calls for every store nationally. Unless you already had the phone number for a specific store saved, and they weren't available online anywhere, there was no way you'd get through to a store without speaking to us first. We handled all bookings, cancellations, refunds, inquiries, etc. for every store. We were able to handle about 99% of inquiries without involving or bothering the stores. The reason the call center existed was to make life easier for both the staff in-store and the customers. It could be very busy and noisy in our centers and by speaking to us, we could quickly and efficiently handle bookings and inquiries without store staff being distracted from other work and without the customer on the phone having to deal with all the background noise and being put on hold while staff deal with issues in the store. We were upfront about the fact that we were a call center and most customers didn't care. We were not outsourced, we were employed directly by the company and based at their head office. So in many ways, we were actually in a better position to help them than the stores. As if I really wanted to help someone, I could actually go straight over to Bob from marketing and ask about the terms of the latest deal, or ask Jane from finance to fast track a refund. Occasionally, you would get a Karen that would complain that they just want to speak to the store directly, but most people were pretty good. The rude customer. One day, I get a phone call from what I thought was just an average customer. She clearly didn't hear my intro where I say, thanks for calling company name National Contact Center. She wanted to book a birthday party for her child at one of our bowling alleys and was perfectly pleasant throughout most of the process. This was a very last minute party, booking just over a week out so we already had a lot of bookings in the system for the bowling lanes. She tried booking online and wasn't able to because there weren't enough free lanes next to each other for the party. I was able to move some bookings to different lanes in the system back end for her and free up enough lanes for her booking. Birthday party calls were slightly longer than regular bookings as there's a lot of variables to go through. And unlike regular bookings, we have to take a deposit. Because of this, we actually used the same website booking system to make birthday bookings that customers could use themselves online instead of our usual back-end system that we use for most bookings. That's because it automatically takes us through all the questions and the deposits step by step. It's also important to note that when you use the online booking tool, it creates a temporary booking in the system that lasts for half an hour. This is to ensure that no one else can swoop in while you're booking and steal your spot. If you complete the booking within the 30 minutes, it's yours. And if you don't, it frees up the space for someone else to book. I go through the entire booking process with the customer and get to the very last step, the deposit. As usual, I read out our policy regarding taking a credit card payment over the phone and something within her snaps. It's as if she only just realized she was speaking to a call center. However, I suspect it was simply because she didn't want to pay the deposit. She says, why am I talking to a call center when I rang the store? I say, you actually rang the call center as we don't publish numbers for the stores. This is to ensure a smoother process for you and make sure our staff and store can be focused on the customers in front of them. She says, I don't care. I want to speak to the store directly. I don't want to speak to a call center in India. I'm white with not even a hint of a different accent, but she just assumed because we're a call center, we're based in India. I'm simplifying what she said as unfortunately I can't remember exactly what was said, but she was extremely rude and racist and her arguing went on for a while. 
to the point that I took a short break from the phones after I hung up and my manager had to ask me if I was okay. I tried explaining that her booking would need to start again if she was transferred to the store, but she didn't listen and demanded to be transferred. The malicious compliance. I did exactly as the Karen asked and transferred her to the store. I spoke to the store manager before completing the transfer and explained the situation and he was cool with it. Looking in our back end, I knew that there was no way she'd be able to make her booking until the 30 minutes was up, as the temporary booking created by the system was still there. Eventually I move on to other calls and forget about her, until two hours later when she calls back wanting to book again. This time she's rude from the out, immediately demanding to be put through to the store. I waste her time reading her the official statement about how I can help her with all the inquiries, etc. She demands to be put through, and ultimately I ask why, as I won't transfer without a reason. And even though I remember her and know the reason, I want to hear her say it. I take great pleasure in telling her that, unfortunately, we're fully booked on that day, as someone else had booked out the only lanes we had available in the meantime. Of course, this answer was unacceptable to her, and she demanded to be put through to the store again. I transfer her and speak to the same manager again, who tells me that he couldn't book her because of my back-end booking from earlier. So he advised her to call back later to book. She asked him for the direct store number, but he refused to give it, meaning she had to call me back, and I got to inform her that the party would no longer be happening, all because she had to act like a Karen. Honestly, there's really not much more to add to this story. It's exactly what it should have been. OP was helping them throughout every step of it and it was going to go smoothly. And then all of a sudden the gears in the Karen brain got unstuck and started rolling again. And they latched onto something that didn't matter at all, which was, why am I talking to a call center? It's like, lady, just finish your booking. Worry about the call center after or something. But yeah, probably just didn't want to pay the deposit and wanted to argue. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of all these stories I've read today, which is your favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.